0: This is the Mentors for Military Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Robert Gowen. Welcome to the Mentors for Military Podcast. And we're gonna good we're gonna do something a little bit different in this situation. This is the first time we've actually done a videotaping so um, we've got the whole crew here. And in this case, I thought it might be kind of cool for people to associate the voice now with the person. So, with me saying that I'm Robert, to my left is the guest. We'll introduce him in just a second. Uh, but to my right, we can go yeah, on around.
1: Yeah, I'm Don,
0: Paul Martinez,
2: AJ, Nikki,
0: Scott. Our, and we can't, yeah, Scott, you'll always know your voice. Very different. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we'd like to thank, of course, our sponsor, Uncana. And uh, Uncana is a veteran owned CBD company. And if you're not familiar with them, please check them out. You can use the code MINTERS, the number four MIL, and you get a 20% discount. And that discount typically is applied in their Uncana website for only LEO and veteran uh, verified individuals. So, what's cool about that is, you know, in your case, you can actually go on. And uh, use the code mentors the number four M I O. Get that code every day, regardless of your status. So, uh, take advantage of that. Some great products. Um, you know, that's actually checked out from seed to sell. They're doing things along the ISO 9001, the CGMP, the uh, FDA guidelines. So, good company, great products. Uh, be sure to follow them. Also, uh, Tactical Brewing hooked us up today. Um, they were on our podcast and. They, uh, they helped us out by giving us some of their products, so we want to give a shout-out to them saying, hey, thanks a lot, Tactical Brewing. They're down in Orlando, Florida. Check them out if you ever go down to Disney World or if you live down in the Orlando area. So we're going to go ahead and kick into this, and um, this time I want to go ahead and introduce you, Red, because um, we barely know that much about you, and that's what the whole exciting thing about a, doing a podcast, is that we get a chance to actually dive into you. So in most cases, people would be listening to this and I'd have to say something like, hey, start talking or tell me a little bit about yourself so that we can get into your background. But we already know that you came from Ranger Bat. But my curiosity is, did you come from Philly, where you are now, or where was it that you originally started?
3: Uh, As far as uh, how did I get into the military?
0: Yeah, where did you come from?
3: Um, Yeah, so that started in Philadelphia. You did? Yep. And I actually had no intention of joining the military. Really? Um, Yeah, none at all. Um, And I think uh, 9-11 obviously changed everything. Um, Yeah. And uh from there it took me a couple of years to uh to get my life together and then realize I needed to do something. But uh the the biggest defining moment was uh when they started putting the names of everybody who died in the World Trade Center. Um I saw the name Redifer and I realized that oh it was my. yeah. So same name, uh, definitely had a, uh, an emotional response and, uh, really changed my life big time. Um, Any
0: relation? Did you ever find out?
3: No, I never really dug too deep, but it's such a unique name. There's a high probability there's some type of relation. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I never dug deeper than wow. that. I just knew that there was a significant emotional response on my end. And honestly, like before that, I, I just wanted to, uh, sing in a punk rock band and ride BMX bikes and Rock on. I, didn't I know that's, that I would yeah, have never
0: guess that by looking at
3: it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was the life I was living. Um yeah. and uh yeah, it all changed. Um but it didn't it, it wasn't fast. It it took about two years to to get it together to to finally um make it to the recruiter. And I, I remember sitting uh bartending and arguing with customers at the bar and uh realizing like what am I doing here, just arguing with these people? this isn't going to change anything. I got two good arms, two good legs i got I got a brain in between my ears somewhere, and uh probably should do something about it, so went down to the recruiters and uh I, yeah, some other things happened i joined yeah
0: so was it option forty and in, uh <coughs> infantry or what was what, what was your option? what did you do
3: <laughs> so this is kind of ridiculous uh, I ended up um the first thing I wanted to do was uh join the coast guard yeah. And uh, so.
0: Coast Guard? Yeah. <laughs> why? Wait, why the Coast Guard?
3: Well, all right, in, in, in my, <gasps> in my uh, confusion and my, my lack of understanding of how the military works, uh, there was an anti-aircraft gun on uh, Delaware Avenue in Philadelphia, uh, which I know now is just a piece of equipment. It's not real. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I really thought that somebody sat on that thing and shot airplanes out of the sky. And I was <laughs> no, like uh, I was like, awesome. I want that job yeah (laughs) so so i I went to the recruiter and i was was like yeah i want that job and they're like what no and uh so um i i started down the path of the coast guard and then they uh they gave me a long list of why i can't join the coast guard so i was like all right cool so i guess i'll I'll just be a seal so i went over to the uh the navy recruiter figured that'd be pretty easy and uh everything was going just fine with them and uh, i went to go sign on the dotted line and uh they uh they saw I had tattoos and they're like, no, get out. And I was like, what what do you mean? Get out. And they're like, yeah, we can't, you can't have tattoos. And I'm like, you're the Navy. You're, you're known for like spinach and tattoos and boats. Like, (laughs) and and they were like, yeah, we're trying to change our image. And I'm like, dude, it's time of war. And they're like, yeah, sorry. So I was like, eh, I guess I'll just be a P.J. So I, I went yeah. over to the uh, oh,
2: Air Force <laughs> would definitely.
3: Not yeah, <laughs> so I went over to the Air Force office and they basically threw things at me, <laughs> yeah. so I wasn't allowed to go in there. Really. Yep,
2: what? Why?
0: Wait what, what are
2: they- Because it's the Air Force.: Because it's the tattoos. Air Force.:
3: <laughs> Yeah, tattoos. I was too old. Um, I was in a coma at one point in my life. Um, so there was, there was a long list of, of reasons I cannot join the Air Force) um, so I, at that point, I, like, I gave up on wanting to join the military. I'm yeah. like, oh, man, I guess, I guess I just can't join the military. And I saw an advertisement in the Philadelphia Inquirer for uh, Philadelphia police. And in my mind, I thought you could just become a detective. I know you can't do that now. Yeah, You got wow. to walk the beat. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's a process. So um, I went to go take the civil service exam uh, at City Hall. And I couldn't find the office for the test. And I'm a... Uh, Man, I can't find this office anywhere. So I called my dad, who's who's a retired cop. I'm like, Dad, where's where's the office for the uh, civil service exam? And he goes, What are you doing? And I'm like, Ah, I'm going to become a detective. And he's like, What? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm going to become a detective. And he's like all right, you failed the first test of being a detective. You can't find the office. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's, that's pretty rough, Dad. So he goes, all right, idiot. He goes, uh, turn around, go back down Broad Street, go to the Army recruiter. They just changed their <laughs> tattoo policy. I'm like, I don't want to join the Army. He's like, join the Army, idiot. You're not doing anything with your life. And I'm like, all right. So I went back, and show enough. Um, I had to get a couple tattoos covered up. But, uh, yeah, my initial contract was, uh, I think it was for SF. Um, it really? 18 x then yeah and uh this is where things get kind of weird because it was uh, intent for sf if that makes any sense at all and uh they said uh we're gonna sign off uh mm-hmm. as long as you score over 280 or 300 on the pt test and i was like cool so i got uh, 300 on my second pt test and they're like awesome you're gonna go to sf and then like a week later the drill sergeant was like no you're going to rangers and i was like oh all right i guess i'll do that so
0: how do they wait? How do they switch that? If you were 18 x-ray, I have no just, idea. So, wait, so I, I mean, I, cause I'm confused. I mean, you were an OSEC commander. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious how that went down. Is it like they can just make a decision like that on the fly? I would have thought that he had some say so in that.
1: Well, I mean, it really, it goes back to that, to what the contract said, you know, you'd have to look back and see what that is, yeah. but you know, there's some have it in contracts. Some, they come and say, Hey, who wants to volunteer for this? But you didn't volunteer. You were volunteered. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah.
4: I feel like they they might have done a little bit of profiling on you and be like, we can get this guy to sign on the line. This is going to be better for him. Is that similar
5: situation? It it sounds to me like there's a a carrot being dangled in front of uh, somebody who's keen to do a specific route. Mm -hmm. And they've, Said everything you wanted to hear until you signed on that line. Yeah. The Actually, you can't go SF, right. you can go into something else. How many years was you recruit a recruiter? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. But
0: <laughs> but that would have been the guidance counselor down there. But they must have set something up where you thought you were going 18X Ray and maybe you were some kind of unassigned or something that they had the option, like you're saying, to be able to switch to, I don't know. I've it's, never. Did I, you did really really ever see any paperwork saying okay. SF? Yeah, it's yeah. really
4: easy to get out of an 18X contract. I mean, you just. You you just say I don't
5: want it. What would you say, Scott? Did, did uh, Red ever see any paperwork that said SF on it? Oh, I
3: don't know. This is going back 16 years. It's probably at the bottom of the pile somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I really haven't looked over it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, think, I think then after you went through and they decided uh, to talk to you into or told you you were going into <coughs> Ranger option and everything, mm-hmm. you end up going to uh, Airborne School. Yep. And then you end up going to RASP. RIP. Yeah, rip. yeah okay. it was ripped back then. Back yeah. when it was hard. Back when. That's hilarious. So, well, um, some of the guys that were in airborne school with you, I'm sure that they got the same kind of option. and mm-hmm. came over and probably recruited a bunch of those guys as well, I'm assuming, or even in OSIT when you were in one station unit training?
3: Um, the only guy I remember, uh, that went through with me is Chris green. I actually texted him earlier today. He lives somewhere around here, so we'll probably meet up later. Yeah. But, uh, he and I went through basic together, went through airborne together. We had, uh, ripped contracts, I guess. And, uh, he's the only one I recall that we went through everything together. We both ended up in one seven, five together. Um, but through the entire time he and I, uh, best friends the whole time. is great.
0: Yeah. Well, that is good to have kind of a, a buddy along the whole yeah. path there. Yeah. Um, so you were assigned 175. Yep. By selection, or was it one of these things random? You three guys going th- third, you guys going second bet, you guys going first? Or
3: So as I recall, there was a wish list. Yeah. Um, and you could choose where you wanted to go. Um, and uh, there was uh, – we, we were talking about this earlier. There was uh, an air quote uh, boxing ring in the back where if you – if you got assigned to a unit um, you didn't want to go to, like if you got assigned to 375 and you wanted to go to 175, which is pretty common, um, yeah. you can figure it out in the boxing ring. Um, so there was a little section back there that was roped off. And, uh,
0: and once, you're, once you had a meeting of the minds and you come back and you tell the RI or, you know, um, yeah, you tell the RASP guys and stuff, the NCO, all right, I, I want to go second and he wants to go third. Right, right, Joe? And, th- and then you both yeah nod and yeah after you beat the you- shit out of the guys <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah you
4: know, con- I- conflict resolution ring yeah, how come
0: I how come about. I this is the first I've heard of this as many guys that we've actually talked to has gone through you know rip and rasp I've never heard of the the boxing ring
4: well they've used it for different purposes no oh, okay it it's really it's for ropes right right you practice yeah practice your knots on practice the, your lowers that are tied <laughs> between the trees yeah. It's prep for ranger school it's- also good for beating the crap out <laughs> yeah. of fellow Rangers.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Getting so what, duty sentence. <laughs> what, was
0: your, what year was this in, for um, starting in RAP? For, uh, for RIP? Yeah, um, for RIP. Oh, four, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, when were you an NCO at an RI at Ranger School? Oh, so
1: I left there in uh, 2002, I left
0: there. Okay. So, well before that. So, um, when you went to 175... What was that like arriving there for the first time uh, recruit.
3: yeah, that, that was a shock, um, as every ranger has said. Um, you know you're coming from thinking you're the the badass of whatever city, town borough you come from, and then suddenly you're surrounded by everybody who thinks the same exact thing, yeah. and it's it's just doors are opening and guys are attacking you, and I thought I could hide in my car I remember me and green hiding in the car and these tab spec fours pulled us out and it was it was a long night um i don't think i should divulge too much but uh <laughs> it was pretty brutal um <laughs> so it, it was uh it, it was pretty painful um but a uh, lot of good information a uh, lot of education a uh, lot of reality checks happening all at once
0: yeah. Pain related learning yeah <laughs> so there were really at that time frame there wasn't a whole lot that was going on uh, because let's see, well, when was the first time that you guys took off and deployed then?
3: Mm, when I showed up, um, the regiment was already deployed. Oh, was it? Uh, okay. So we had, we had Rear D and then uh, dudes who just graduated Ranger School. So those guys were really stoked on smoking new Rangers. So it was a lot of fun for me. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: I didn't think that you guys were gone at that time frame. Okay, yeah. so. No, they start, we started deploying in
4: October of 2001. Yeah. 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 We've been continuously deployed since a month after but 2000,
0: I didn't think like, 2000, you said 2004, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah so Three or four or something like that.
4: Yeah. Regiment's been rotating over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When was the first time that you ended up deploying and were you, uh, had you gone to Ranger School first or did you end up getting deployed before you ended up going to Ranger School?
3: So I deployed two times before Ranger School um, and I was actually going to get uh, medically released from Ranger School because uh, they learned that I had a phase two primary hypertension and I had no idea I had it and uh one day after pt I'm like man my head really hurts and I can't hear anything and I'm not seeing straight mm. and doc was like dude what is wrong with you I'm like I, I don't know and he's like let's go check this out and uh my blood pressure was 220 over 190 <laughs> and what? Yeah, so that's a little high <laughs> yeah. and uh you're making the ner- uh,
4: here very <laughs> nervous so. yeah. 220 over 190. yeah
3: yeah <laughs> so uh yeah they took me over to the hospital and checked me out and uh yeah hypertension pretty bad um we started monitoring it um started with like uh i guess beta blockers or water pill i don't know some yeah. crap pills and uh eventually got it under control but they kept telling me they were like uh first sergeant sal is like red he's like you're you're a good ranger but you'll never progress here you're, you're never going to make it past uh private first class because you can't get your tab if you can't get your tab you can't get promoted so we'll send you anywhere you want you want to go to italy we'll send you to italy you know Hawaii, we'll send you Hawaii, wherever you want. I was like, you know, I, I signed on the dotted line, signed to be a ranger, I'm gonna stay, and, and that's it. I don't care about the promotion. I'm gonna do what I signed up for. And he's like, Hey Roger, that so
5: because of your medical condition, because of your blood pressure.
3: Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that way I, I couldn't go they wouldn't medically sign me off to go to a ranger school because that was a risk. So on the way uh the way home from my second deployment, we were in Germany and I remember we're sitting at the airport and the doc came up and he's like, Reg, you still want to go to ranger school? I was like, yes, absolutely, sir. And he goes, all right, well, the battalion surgeon or whomever just signed himself off. And he also has phase two primary hypertension, the same exact medical condition that you have. And I was like, okay. And they're like, as long as he doesn't die, you can go. Like it doesn't matter if he passes or not, but if he doesn't die, you can go. And I was like, Sweet.
5: So he was going uh-huh. to a ranger school as well, signed himself off. Correct. And he was going to be the guinea pig. <laughs> for yeah. You to be able I to. Yeah. Because cool. he had all the rankings. He didn't, you didn't
3: to have you pass to pass land to nav. Him. He just
5: couldn't <laughs>
1: die. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, just don't die.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's crazy. So uh, he didn't
3: own. die. I think he passed. And uh, <laughs> At
0: least so. least as far <laughs> as you know, because you got to go to school, right? That's
3: true. Yeah. Yeah. His story didn't really matter to me as long as he didn't die. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I went to ranger school. Um, we actually, we ended up going together. Yep. Um, Same class. Yep. I, uh, I went to school with a brand new uh, torn IT band. So that was fun. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, refused to quit and just kind of sucked <laughs> that up, too.
0: So you were not to recycle any time through it? No. All the way through?
3: Thankfully, I went straight through. I'm not really sure how. Um, but I did.
0: So was anybody checking you out physically during this time frame, knowing of your condition or no one knew about it whatsoever because you were cleared?
3: Um, Ranger school is kind of a blur. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not really sure. Yeah. I, I assume so. Um, I know yeah. they were looking at me because of my uh, my twin IT band. So I'm, I'm sure they were looking at me medically. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. I was just kind of curious about that because I would have thought with, if they knew anything about the condition, they'd probably, you know, maybe periodically stop, check, make sure. Okay, yeah. You're good. Yeah. Keep yeah. going. You know, that kind of good stuff. So made it through all the way the first time, End up going back to 175. <coughs> so did you end up staying there the whole time in your career?
3: No, no, I was, I was in 175 for, uh, so my whole active duty career, I was there for uh, six years, nine months, 24 days.
0: Wow, you know to. it, like, yeah, to the D. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know how many hours, so I don't know, you made that much of an impact, <laughs> yeah. There, right? Um, so, uh, after battalion, I, I ended up going to Fort Carson and uh, became a combatives instructor. Okay. And uh, so for my last two or three, whatever it was, uh, few years of active duty, all I did was fight, and it was awesome. Uh, my boss, uh, steve martin and Yako clearly uh big names the comedian no yeah. no <laughs> but uh no they were big names in the uh, modern army combatives uh world and uh it, it was a it was a great transition going from uh angry ranger um the way we work the way we function and it, it works in that environment in that world but if i were to act the way i was acting as a ranger in the civilian world i i wouldn't have gotten very far at all so made my way into the combatist flight house and and from there teaching at fort carson i was teaching everybody from 10 special forces group all the way down mm. to like the admin for the medical detachment like so all different personality types so i'm used to screaming and yelling at people in ranger regiment like if you don't do it hit the wood line you know it's going to get done uh if you don't do it enough i'm going to kick you out like i had to learn tact and how to, how to communicate with different people. And that really helped me out in dividends and civilian world.
0: So some people are going to be listening to this and they're not going to understand what you're describing there as this course mm-hmm. and what you're teaching and everything else. So go into kind of a little bit of a detail for people who are not familiar with the army and not familiar with this type of, for the training and stuff. For
3: the uh, modern army combatives. Yeah. 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 So, uh, right now, uh, modern army combatives, it's, it's like our, uh, our own internal fight system. Um, and there's three levels to it there. There used to be four, now there's three. There's basic, tactical, and master. Um, the basic course is a 40-hour course, and it's uh, it's teaching you, the primary focus is your ground fighting. Um, so it comes from Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, um, and eventually you're working your way up to wearing full kit, going inside a room, having people with blotter suits on, them attacking you, using escalation of force, trying to deescalate a situation. If you can't use your words, you gotta use your hands. Um, and then it just gets more and
0: more difficult each time um but is this something that you guys go through in the security forces i'm curious in the air force
6: yes because um, you, yeah. you teach you teach a lot of combative yeah. stuff at the end of the day uh you don't want to put your weapon on somebody because you're trying to deescalate that situation but well, it was like 90 percent of the fights end up on the floor so mm-hmm. you have to figure out how you can get out of that with all your gear on
0: right jujitsu is a lot of what you guys end up doing yes right? yeah. yeah yes you ended up doing that for how many years um
3: two, three years, something okay. like that. So yeah. then
0: where did you go after that? Cause you still had a couple, we ended up spending 16 total, right?
3: No, no. Six years, nine months, 24 days. So <laughs> close to seven <laughs> years, but no, I'm, I'm 16 years total so far.
0: Oh, okay.
3: Sorry. That got confusing. All right, okay. <laughs> All right. So after that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got off of back, I got out of active duty. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> uh, from there they, uh, The only infantry billet they had for me was in the New Jersey National Guard. Um, So I moved back to Pennsylvania. Uh, I was an infantryman um, in a regular line infantry unit, Um, and you
0: had to pay for your own expenses each weekend to go drill.
3: Yes, I mean they pay you too.
0: Yeah, not much. (laughs) Yeah, right. But I mean your transportation and stuff. It's not like yeah, it's like if you don't have a unit that's close by you and you decide that you're gonna to go to a different state, mm-hmm. whether you're flying or whatever, you're, you're paying for that. Yeah, for the really? most
3: part. I, I think there, there's something with distance. Uh, they do pay for it depending on how far it is. Like, yeah. But for me, like when I was in Jersey, it w- it's about an hour drive. They're not paying me for that. Yeah. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm with Maryland. It's about an hour and a half. They don't pay for that. Right. But right. Yeah, we're obviously not doing it for the pay. Yeah, right. But. Uh,
5: yeah, so, how often do you go and do that, Red? Every uh, weekend?
3: No, one weekend a month, um, okay. on average. Uh, sometimes it, it gets... Uh, every now and again, we'll split a month, um, do a little bit longer than one weekend, uh, some make up the time, and then, then it's the one-week-a-year type deal.
0: So is it... Uh, is, does the Guard still have LERP and LERCY units? Um, long-range patrol? I don't know. Okay. I yeah. didn't know if you were a part of that. No. Of your background. No. Yeah.
3: Um, so I started uh, with jersey guard just regular infantry and then uh, I got the position as the sniper reconnaissance platoon sergeant um, for the jersey guard it was a 114th, 14th and uh, that was pretty cool um, and I was able to go to sniper school from there which was something I've always wanted to do uh, so I'm sniper qualified that's about it uh, like I was saying earlier I'm, I'm like the world's okay a sniper um, okay. <laughs> I, I, I've got it on paper that's about it um, but uh it, it was fun, but trying to compare the, the guard to what I did on active duty, it, it, it wasn't anywhere close. Yeah,
0: Lots of barbecues uh, and uh, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: but, uh, so I, I left, um, I left the guard. I went IRR for, uh, for a year while I went through the police Academy and while I was going through the police Academy, um, somebody came up to me and told me about civil affairs and I was like, well, I don't, I don't know what that is. I'm um, not really interested. And they're like, well, you get to jump out of planes again. I was like, Oh, all right. I could jump out of planes Pay again. Attention. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I kind of thought more and more about it and I was like, well, <laughs> all I'm doing in this national guard infantry is comparing it to active duty. Mm. And it's just, I'm going to have a cognitive dissonance the entire time. Like I won't be able to enjoy myself because all I'm going to be able to do is compare it. So I might as well, start something completely new. I, don't, I know nothing about civil affairs, but I know I get to jump out of airplanes and that scares me. So that means I should probably focus on the thing that scares me. So that's good, because it's good to be scared, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so then just I went to just civil for affairs. A second,
5: for, the, yeah. for the British guy in the room. So you were, <laughs> you were, you were, you're in the National Guard. Yeah. He was hoping to transition into the police force. Yeah. And they've got a, an airborne unit in the police force. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. That is incorrect. Yes. Right. Incorrect. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I was, I was confusing myself. <laughs> not right. He was going for the police, and they've got some kind of airborne capability within the police. Not That'd yet. be pretty cool. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. Yeah. yeah. I will sign up. <laughs> they
3: had a jump in as a criminal on the run. Yeah. Space <laughs> Force. <laughs> Space Force. Halo.
0: <laughs> so, no, he, was, he, was, uh, he ended up going to civil affairs while in the guard, but he had just gradu- graduated or completed the uh, police force academy. Right, on so the what's the civil side. affairs part? So uh, thats the National Guard again, right? Well, it's right? reserves, but okay. yeah. so, close. So he was infantry, yep. National Guard went civil affairs, okay, because he could jump out of planes again.
4: Okay, it's good deal. Yeah,
0: yeah.
5: yeah. So I can't make the link between. Jumping well, he out didn't of make. Th- he couldn't make the link between civil, civil affairs. affairs. It was just, just that he could jump, and that's what. Yeah, figure the rest out. I yes, <laughs> I figure it out. I don't understand that. Yeah, we'll tell you afterwards.
1: <laughs> jump out airplanes. Why? Yeah.
3: Um, so the last time we we did a a mission or a training exercise, uh, Saber guardian and the civil, there was a, I was a four man civil affairs unit and we were attached to, it was something ridiculous in the hundreds of this airfield seizure, MLAT, whatever it's called now with the 173rd and, uh, all sorts of other, uh, nationalities. And we, we Uh jumped in, did the airfield seizure Well, civil affairs, we went off and did our thing. So what is your thing? Uh, (laughs) <laughs> talking to people okay kind of what we're doing now uh yeah so uh you go into um atmospherics uh, key leader engagements find out what the people need uh what they're missing how how can the u.s help them you know we're we're all in this big arts picture Hearts and mind type things, right. minds yes um so that sounds nice and warm it does it? Yeah. <laughs> the hearts and minds of our yeah yeah, so I went from Ranger Battalion to Hearts and that's like Yeah, that's like major. <laughs> Teddy bears but, and but peaches. For, for those
4: listening, I mean, why that's important. If you don't know what an airfield seizure is, you know, we're gonna, we are gonna need entry into a country that is hostile or for whatever reason. So you send in the paratroopers and they jump in. But everybody that's operating that airport, whether it's an actual airport or a military airport, is not hostile. Um, but we need them to have that airfield functional so that we can get more of our forces in there, establish a foothold, and that's sort of how we're gonna go from there. So it makes perfect sense to have yeah. a, a civil affairs, it's airborne qualified, because then you can get them on the ground immediately, get the tower up and you know, you get those people that know how to run that The, the role of it, it the game.
5: function of it makes complete sense to me. It's the, right. the, the, the terminology, the monocle, civil affairs. I just, where's right. the, in, the way,
6: civil in a way you're part? building that partnership with those people. Yes, so, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. They can help you in a way.
4: Right, because if right? we just jump into the Baghdad airport and kill Take all the over, people from Iraq,
6: hostile.
5: we don't, may not know how to work their towers, their systems, so, their... F- so in things. in the UK, so we do something pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, we've obviously got um, a parachute capability, an airborne capability to jump in, uh, and then my former uh, regiment, the Royal Engineers, Um, would be able to go in and and do uh, airfield and ground um, through the parachute uh, uh, squadron within that. Now, as an electrician in the military, so there was key points in the world that were UK bases, that if something happened, for example, the Falkland Islands, uh, because we we had previously that issue with Argentina in 1982. So when I did my electrical course, uh, my advanced one, I actually got flown down with... There was about 12 of us got flown down to the Falklands and learned how to run the entire power station down there. So if something happened again all the civilians got flown out, wherever we were in terms of our postings, um, and we could all be in different units, they would just say, right, you've got to go on a plane down to the Falklands wow. and we'd have to go in and take over the running of the power station. Hmm. And that rotated through... Um, through different places in every year. So, so you were like Finn on I, Star Wars. I, yeah, something like that. I got the Falklands. The other one was in Cyprus, which is a lot nicer than the Falklands. Uh, and I think the other one was in Belize, which is, again, nicer than the Falklands. Yeah, so nice I got the cold, one. shitty part.
4: Yeah. <laughs> As always.
0: You must have made quite the impression. Yeah. So, so what is the role? Is there a role not in the British Army whatsoever for civil affairs?
5: There is. We just probably got a better name for it. Oh, well, (laughs) of course, you're the British, right?
0: (laughs) So getting back to your story, (laughs) So um, thanks for sharing what civil affairs uh, does and everything. So um, while you were in civil affairs, you were also a police officer. Yes. And in the Philly, in Philadelphia?
3: Yeah, uh, in the Philadelphia area. Uh, So I'm in a township that uh, is on the border of Philadelphia.
0: Okay. Yep. And um, so how many years now have you been with him?
3: Uh, three years with the police department.
0: Okay. Yeah. And how much difference did you see that making the transition? Well, first off, I want to ask you, how was the transition? Because I mean, you jumped, sure you went into the guard, you had a little bit of sense of service still that was mm-hmm. belonging. You're now with a different team of individuals that are they in your mind? Are they very similar in mindset and approach and everything? Or was there, what was the difference and what was the struggle you had getting out? I'm sorry. There's a lot of questions, but I mean, <laughs> sorry. Yeah,
3: try. I'll try to hit one at a time. Um, I'd say the similarities and differences between uh, police and military. Um, <coughs> there there are commonalities. Yeah. Um, you're going to get different personalities and everybody's there for, well, everybody's there for pretty much the same reason. Uh, you're going to get different levels of motivation, um, but what it comes down to is who you surround yourself with, right? Yeah. So we, we can always choose like our core five, you know, so those, and then from that, we can influence more people um, and, whatever mission that you're on hopefully those people are on the same mission and if they're not hey find some new people yeah um just like in the military you know you, you got the people that you probably don't want to hang out with and the, the ones you want to aspire to be like and then other ones that are on the same mission next thing you know those five people are always hanging out together and you eventually become the sum of the five people you hang out with the most yeah. and and it's the same in the police department i mean it's, it's a high threat environment um a lot of uh a lot of unknowns a lot of risk um but uh
0: so did you end up going into anything specialized because of the fact that you had Ranger or you had Sniper? Was that a benefit? Did you see that? Or did you use that as a benefit inside an LEO environment?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I recently made the SWAT team. Um, oh, congratulations. thank nice. you. Thank you. Uh, which that was like a, a huge, that was the goal for me besides becoming a cop. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I, I've always wanted to be a SWAT officer and, uh, made, made SWAT team. Uh, I think like four months ago or something like that. Wow. Um, so pretty stoked. Uh, so, so
0: what was the training like for that in comparison then to say, you know, some of the stuff that you've already gone through?
3: Uh, it's all pretty similar, just a lot shorter, um, just cause I mean, we gotta go home to our families every day. It's not like a lockdown type thing. Oh, it's
0: not. So, uh, I always wondered about that when you go yeah. through the training, it, you're not in a compound. It's not like you're going through, you know, some kind of training where you're getting to know your teammates and that's what you're focused on. You, you go home every night.
3: Yeah. Oh, but okay. it, it's it's different everywhere. Like, I, I can't give broad strokes for all police departments because everybody, everybody runs it the same way. And, okay. and Pennsylvania, um, you know, we have so many different townships and boroughs. Uh, it, everybody, you can almost make up your own rules besides the fact that you still have to meet the standards of the SWAT teams like across the board. But uh, there's other, like like state police, I'm pretty sure they have some type of barracks type situation mm-hmm. or full-time SWAT teams. Um, I'm not sure about but, like, for me, for my job, I'm still a patrolman. I go out on the street, and then I have an additional duty as a SWAT officer.
0: Okay, so you're not just on a – I've always wondered about that. Yeah. Uh, you're not, like, a SWAT team that that's all you do, and you're waiting for the buzzer to ring to use use your skills. You're basically walking the beat, mm-hmm. and when you get the call, you then flip into SWAT mode. That's correct. Oh.
2: There's some okay. cities, though, where it is a full-time team. So, it's- like, Los Angeles, um, I think New York also has mm-hmm. a full-time team. So I think it just depends on the – The population and how big. Yeah.
0: So I forgot Nikki, new job, is um, with the Sheriff's Department.
2: So with the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department, I'm doing the air rescue program. Yes. Yeah. But I've also flown with the L.A. um, sheriffs their Air 5 rescue helicopter, which is all SWAT. Or all of those guys are, are part of the SWAT team, and they went to their rescue platform yeah, but they all have to be tactical first, so they're very unique in that sense. We forgot to share
0: with you, Nikki's our resident badass. So, oh, um, <laughs> no. so anyway, uh, any the uh, with you guys and stuff, you know, um, and coming out and making the transition out and stuff. Do you guys? Are you able to go in and transition from security forces into any type of leo environment um rather quickly and like swat and stuff yeah. or okay
6: actually a lot of our training we're able to go to the civilian equivalent if it's software in our city so for example we go through swat training with san antonio police department and they'll they'll certify us we don't have any jurisdiction off base but then whenever we get out, a lot of security forces members decide to pursue that, and then they already have those qualifications. So it's-
0: I was going to say, you're a card-carrying member at that point. So you can just go in there and go, hey, listen, I've already gone through the... Mm-hmm. That's, that's cool.
5: So can you transfer directly into a police SWAT-type role?
6: Yes and no. I mean, we still have to do additional training. We still have to do the basic stuff. Yeah. But it kind of gets our foot in the door.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, now that you're SWAT, now that you're comp, the... I know that one of the things that we've talked about a lot on this podcast is that um, in the sense of, say, post-traumatic stress, mm-hmm. the LEOs live in a very different environment because of the fact you walk the beat or drive by with your family, even in your off hours, you're constantly reminded of the situation and the environment of which it happened. You know, for us who were in the military, may have acquired post-traumatic stress and get out, that's over there, 3,000 miles. Right so that's a that's a very difficult thing that i think um a lot of people don't really think about we focus a lot on post-traumatic stress within the military but we don't think a lot about the leo environment now i'm just curious your perspective of working around those guys how that how you look at that now you know and um
3: it, it, it is uh significantly different just like you said that the, the space and and distance um and in the military i mean we come home to Come home to the states you're safe we all get to high five each other it's no big deal um and everybody's congratulating each other um and just like you said like with the police department you know, i might have something horrible happen right in front of me and i have to go home and maybe i'll drive by that that scene um and uh i don't know if i compartmentalize it or whatever um i talk to like other officers about certain Situations like we'll, we'll kind of give our own little AARs. Uh, we've had a couple situations where we've, we've really like analyzed what we did right, what we did wrong. Um, but as far as like driving by uh, an area where I've had like a significant issue, um, I can't really let it bother me too much because I'm going to go back to that same area over mm-hmm. and over and over again. I, I can't just relive a, a bad uh, scenario every single time or I just won't be able to do my job. Um, I just have to let that be in the past, learn from my mistakes, and uh, continue with the, with the good things I was doing at that moment. And uh, yeah.
0: Wow, that's got to be tough though.
6: So yeah. you have to shift, shift your mindset. You can't always think of the negative, you have to think of the positive. Yeah. How do you, how do, you, how do, you do that? Because it sounds a lot easier said than done, you no? Know? Yeah. Um, if you have a memory, whether it be a good one or a bad one, it's, it's, it's there. So how do you do that shift?
3: I'm, I'm not really sure. I <laughs> it. I guess it's just being in the moment more um, because as a cop, we have to understand we, we might just uh, go from one call where it's, uh, you know, a guy with a gun or a domestic violence type thing with, and like absolutely horrible. And the next thing might just be an old lady locked out of her car. Like I'm, I'm not going to bring the same stress and, and horror that I just dealt with the last call and help the old lady locked out of her car. Um, vice versa, I'm not going to like show up all willy-nilly to a, a domestic situation. Can you please and, give like, me the gun? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it's just turning it on and off. I'm not sure exactly how I we do it, um, but it's, it's just done.
6: Would you say it goes back to how you guys were trained prior to being police officers?
3: Uh, as far as police officers? Well, I, I think it's more on-the-job training, and it's learning from each other. Um, I mean, the training, just like basic training in the army, it's basic, you know, you're going to get it once you're on the street Mm -hmm. and you're going to see those other people that you admire, that you want to be like, and you're going to follow what they do. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you chose the right person and, uh, kind of see how they emotionally deal with each situation. And then I've had a few times I've pulled guys aside, like, Hey man, how do you feel about that? Like, and we've just had, like, open, honest conversations because, like, we're all ego monsters, so you're not going to say it in front of other people or, you know, you're going to get made fun of, and that hurts too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so how do you think the transition went for you then?
3: From the military to yeah. civilian life? Yeah. Uh, that was pretty rough. Um, why, why so? Yeah, so the Philadelphia area... Um, and the only other ranger I know of is my buddy Tom DeVitro, and I, I didn't meet him until a few years after I got out. So I, I really didn't have any other rangers to talk to, and uh, I met my my wife before I got out. And uh, so my wife Shannon and I bought a house, and we were closing on the house. And while we were waiting on that, I had to live at my parents' house, and which was cool, but... Depressing. Like, yeah. like I just went through all this and went through four deployments on active mm-hmm. duty and got all these awards for a hero. And next thing I know, I'm like living at mommy and daddy's house. And I, I appreciate what they were doing, but I didn't realize how how emotionally it was hurting me. Like not being on my own again, suddenly having to be back home as a grown man, and it was very odd. And the, the worst feeling was collecting unemployment. Mm. Like I hated that. Like I felt like such a loser. And they're like, "No, you earned that." And I'm like i earned my paycheck like i and and it got to the point where i i was drink, drinking way too much um and uh we we eventually moved out we we uh we got the house started our life again and uh i was putting in applications everywhere um and i really thought it was going to be a smooth transition like oh this this special operations army ranger combatives instructor uh anybody's gonna hire him just drop of a hat no nope, wasn't that at all no nope, I actually needed to work for it you know and uh, yeah it was a big eye opener
1: I know exactly what you're talking about a yeah. matter of fact I worked with I worked for Rob for years and I did a I was gonna transition out of the military and you go back home or you go back to where you're from and there's nobody that relates that asked oh you were in the army what'd you do well it doesn't doesn't do me any good to tell you because you, you're not gonna relate to it yeah you know, we didn't go camping, and uh, and this was pre this was pre nine eleven. Yeah, but it's the same thing. You know, I'm transitioning. I'm going to a course. They're not paying me yet till I get my certification, so I'm entitled to it an unemployment. And I go down there, and it's like, you know what? I'm absolutely not sitting here. I'm not taking this. Yeah. I'm better than this. Yeah, and walk out. And the lady comes out and says, "No, you 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 are actually entitled. You're the one that's entitled." And and it was refusing. And it's just like a low point of like this is. This yeah. is not good.
3: Yeah.
5: So in terms of transitioning, it just I want to relate something from the UK to the US. So when you leave the military, how do you elect to do that? So in the UK, for example, we have a sign-off process and you give 12 months notice of your intention to leave the military and you, you sign off. Or in my day, you physically sign a piece of paper. And these days it's seven clicks. Um, and you have 12 months from that point to get your shit together mm. <laughs> and get out. And... Lots of people leave it until 11 months, three weeks, and five days and start thinking, (laughs) well, what am I going to do now? I need to get a job of some variety. So in the U.S., is it a similar process or is it a case of you can leave within a month or do you do a certain uh, contract agreement of of the old way of doing it in the U.K.? used to be three years, five years, or 22 years, and you'd sign up for that agreed time. There's,
2: I mean, for enlisted, you have contracts. So you do... You know, you either initially enlist for a certain amount of time, and then if you re-enlist, again, it is a certain amount of time. For officers, it's we're indefinite, and then we do, we offer our resignation or we ask to retire, and then it's usually a year-long process. So you get a decent process. amount of time to do that? You usually do, yes. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. You,
1: you know you're going to do it, but you're still working a job and still trying to. So you're, it, it still is, it's more than just transitioning to, the back into the uh, civilian world. You mm. still have a job that people are counting on you to do things and expecting you to be at work and do yeah, things. Absolutely. So it's you know, it's but yeah, you do get three years or a four year okay. contract and then hey it's coming up and then twenty four months out or twelve months out, you know, the, hey are you interested in staying in? No I'm not and then yeah. then you'll start. The it's, it's
5: something we've spoken about several times on different podcasts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, the, if there's people out there who are in the military and they they know they're going to be transitioning out, you really need to get your shit together and, and get your but ducks in a line. Yeah, yeah and, and start thinking about... I know a guy recently who who left um, the Br- British uh, Special Forces, Ben Garwood, and he had a five-year transition point. So he, he knew that he was leaving in five years' time, and that was his career done. uh, I think he was at at 23, 24 year point then. So he set up his own business, HR4K in the UK, and worked through that, got that set up, staff in the building. So when he left, he was transitioning into a full working established business. And he actually, he recently just left, he did it in four years uh, and come out. And that's great, but Ben is certainly the minority in, in most cases of having that full vision and forethought to say, right, what am I going to do? What am I going to be? What would I like to be? What, you know, am I going to start looking at police interviews and, and things like that? And I, I don't know whether enough people spend enough time putting their plan together about what they're going to do in transition and what's their life going to look like? What am I going to do? Where am I going to live? You know, you guys in the US is such a huge. Uh, country, you can you can be from one place and decide that's not where I'm going to live. I'm going to live in this brand new place because I like the weather, I like the climate, I like to climb mountains and the sun there. That,
1: that's a good point because most of the I know, you know, you mentioned 9-11 had an impact on coming in but pre-9-11 in. most most joined because they didn't know what they wanted to do so they joined and then along the way they kind of said I think I want to do this and you transitioned to do that and it's you know it's understanding that there's you know there's things along the way that are going to change that plan and it's going to set it back or it's going to you know you might have joined single you're not married and you don't have children and this is what my plan is going to be but then fast forward five years and now it's you know you're married and you have a couple of kids and there's more responsibilities and that thing doesn't uh it it's not the same plan but um we got to say
5: in the UK, no, no plan survives the first contact.
1: That, that's right, you know, absolutely, uh, and, and, and you, and it's, you it's just if, and you have to set in to be. You have to set that into your plan, yeah. knowing that they, these things might be an, an obstacle. And what am I yeah. going to do when that when that happens? The other piece is someone to come in and then go back home. When they get back home after being gone a while, you look around and it's like. Yeah, this is. Really you didn't know that because you never left there. And once you left there and came back, it's like, yeah, this is. They never changed. I've changed, and they haven't. And this is not where I want to be. So there's another
5: obstacle. Absolutely, and that's something we we mention regularly. And one of the things I, I put out through my business in the UK is, is as people leaving in the military, we need to transition and, and adapt back into the world, and not expect people to adapt to us yes. as veterans or Mm -hmm. as ex-military we need to assimilate absolutely it's it's our job to do that and and go back to being a human being in the civilian world and like you said Red you know if if you'd have left Ranger Bat with the same attitude and mentality you wouldn't have lasted very long in Civvy Street before you probably would have ended up in jail or or worse
3: yeah and it, it it hasn't been a smooth transition either. By, by no means, it was, is not a, it's not a direct line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I got out and this horrible stuff happened, then it got a little bit better, then I got horrible again, then I got better. But it, it's, it's a slow, steady progression to try to get better. It's a, it's a steady self-assessment. Uh, those, those brutal looks in the mirror to realize, like, hey, you're screwing up, man. And it's unfortunate, because like, you get this feeling that you're all alone. You know, you're, you're away from the brotherhood. You're, you're away from the camaraderie and all you have or oh. <laughs> everything in between your ears telling you what to do. So getting out, I, I fell right back into old habits. I mm-hmm. went right back into working in bars again, like, Oh, this is what I do. And, uh, expect, um, I, I felt entitled to make a lot of money, not, not entitled to a, a handout from the government, right. but I, I felt like I should be bartending at a, at a great bar, but, um, thankfully. Uh, one of my Ranger brothers reached out to me and it's like hey I got this job over at uh, Fort uh, McGuire some I don't know some post somewhere and uh, I was teaching tactics to the Air Force the Air Advisory Academy and I was, I was teaching there and I got fired <laughs> and I got fired because I made fun of the air force. Sorry. So, but it was, it was like good banter. To, it wasn't, it wasn't brutal. Like I was, I was sitting in the line, like in my car and I see these like grown men playing ultimate Frisbee and power walking for morning PT. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, and I started videotaping him and I'm like, (laughs) I was like, man, I should have joined the air force. And I like posted that. And I guess, (laughs) it is. And I wasn't hating. I was just like, Oh, look at this. And, uh, my boss found out and I got fired and I was like, Oh, and he's like, how dare you make fun of my squadron? And I'm like, Oh, sorry, dude. So they fired me. And right there, I went back into depression and then like, I started putting in those applications for any type of job, Home Depot, you know, and I'm not talking trash on like the big companies, but things that weren't in my wheelhouse, things that are are not congruent. Right. Yeah. These aren't congruent. Like I was looking for a paycheck, Mm -hmm. not, not, uh, something that would give me like joy or, or struggle, like good struggle, a stress, I think it's called something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so then I had another epiphany and. When I was working for the Air Advisory Academy, I was the dude that everybody went to for the most part. Like any question about tactics, they were coming to me. And I was like, man, they made a lot of money off me. So right there, I was like, screw this. I'm starting my own company. So that's like that night I made a decision. I started ATAC. Um, and then I focused on things that just made me better. Like I, I had some other garbage job, I quit that oh i i was cutting grass for like four dollars an hour too. i was doing that i remember like my boss was a heroin addict and i was like yeah this is bad <laughs> um like I, i'm a special operations army ranger and i'm cutting grass with a heroin addict and i have to answer to him mm-hmm. to take a break all right not good yeah. so yeah um are figuring it out yeah absolutely definitely figuring it out um i think
5: there's a, a a great lesson there in terms of mindset and mentality you know that you've got to take care of your family yourself yes. whatever that may, may be and that means bringing in a wage to pay your bills yeah. and, and not be on unemployment benefits Right. and I think the military mindset is such a great thing that you would take the shittiest job mm-hmm. ever just to be able to bring in that four bucks an hour yeah. and have your own form of income yeah. coming into uh, into your bank account every week every month whatever it was yeah. whereas lots of other people and I'm not tarring everyone with the same brush by any means but lots of other people would take the easy route out and just say, actually, I'm just gonna claim unemployment benefit right. and, and just take whatever that is per week. Yeah, I couldn't live Because Because there yeah. probably wasn't much difference, I bet, in earning four yeah. bucks an hour.
3: Yeah. But fast forward two years later, I, I was working at, and this is after I owned my company. <laughs> I became a, a, a pretty good firearms instructor. I worked for a couple other companies as well. And it was the winter time, which is pretty brutal for firearms instructors, especially in Pennsylvania and I needed to make some money. So I had four rifles on the table and one of my students, Paul walks up and he's like, red, you're, you're selling your 700. You're selling your sniper rifle. And it was the rifle I bought for myself as a graduation gift from sniper school. Oh wow! And I was like, yeah, I'm selling it. And he's like, why? And I'm like, dude, I got to pay the mortgage, man. Like, that's the priority is is take care of my wife and now take care of my daughter, Savannah. Um, so it, I'll get another gun. Like,
0: Yeah, but it's not the gun,
3: right? Right.
0: Yeah.
6: But you gotta put your pride aside too. Yeah. That's where, where you learn what's the priorities are at that point. Mm -hmm. It's not just about you; it's about your family. Right. So, So tell us about
0: ATAC then.
3: Uh, Yeah. So, uh, ATAC is uh, my firearms instruction company. Uh, I primary I teach only uh, small groups. So the most I'll do is four people. Okay. Um, They have very small and I, I built the company around like what everybody always, Oh, I wish, I wish I could get one-on-one training. I wish I could get one-on-one training. And I started thinking about like the type of people that want to learn how to shoot. And they're either afraid of crowds. Like they don't want to be around other people. They don't want to show um, failure. They, you know, they have this ego. They're, they're victims, like some victims that want to have protection that are nervous around other guns that need that personal one-on-one connection. Um, there's, uh, again, ego for police officers or professionals that don't want to show that hey they might suck at something or I'll be able to analyze little tiny (coughs) things that you wouldn't be able to get in a large group, large group. You know, everybody's just shooting at the same time. We can make minor adjustments on the target or maybe your stance, but I can't get in your mind. I'm as far as ATAC goes, I'm going to try to get in your mind and try to change like those neuro pathways to make the right decision to make you a better shoot make you a better shooter under stress. Uh, yeah. So the way it goes further, yeah, there, there are stress shoots. Uh, one of my courses, I actually have you hold a baby doll and shoot makes it pretty stressful, especially for parents. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. That's really cool. So how can people learn more about ATEC? get in contact with you, especially if they're up there in that area?
3: Um, my website is uh, advancedtac.com. Uh, advanced is in the mo- act of moving forward. TAC is in tactical. I wish I would have changed the name because everybody puts advanced, like past tense. Uh. So I always have to correct them, but eh, whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's one of those things as an entrepreneur, you never were like, right. You know, in the beginning. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you kind of figure it out and stuff. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man, yeah, man. sharing your story and, and telling everything about it. And um, I mean, you came all the way from Philly to join us here. So I really yeah. appreciate that. And um, I think that what you've done and what you've accomplished in in even such a short amount of time is pretty commendable. I mean, you know, and the fact that you're still looking obviously for new adventures by joining SWAT, by taking on new uh, MOSs and skills and civil affairs and all those types of things, you're not really resting on your laurels. You're looking for something that still keeps you active, keeps you engaged, you know, and all those types of things. Not to mention, you know, a family member, I mean, a family man, you know, having your company as an op- entrepreneur, the whole thing, you got the full gamut going on. So I uh, really commend you on everything that's going on. I wish you much, nothing but great success and uh, appreciate it again.
3: Thanks. Thanks for having me.